Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm now joined by JJ Bull the Bullard. Yes. Hello there. Hello. There's a new person here today, isn't there? Yes, there is. It's Jonathan Ross McKenzie. Hi, Jonathan. I can't believe you've ditched, dumped that straight off. Well, listen, I want the listeners to know if they want to hack into any of your, uh, you know, online accounts to know your middle name. Mother's maiden name is, of course, Dog. Dog. There we go. Jonathan Ross Dog McKenzie. Anyway, John's here now. So great. Uh, we've got lots of things to discuss uh, today. Wales uh, through to the World Cup. Yes, that happened. Messi did some goals. We will uh, at least reference that. William Saliba returning to Arsenal, apparently, so we can talk about that. Daniel Farker joining Borussia Mönchengladbach. There'll be words on uh, Perisic. We'll talk a bit about Paul Pogba, James Milner, and a couple of questions for John, as well as an exciting little quiz later on about teenage minutes. Yeah. Teenage Minutes Mutant Turtles. That'll be the name of the quiz. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bumper-packed episode, and I can't wait to get started. If you <clears throat> like to get started, then you should download The Athletic. That's right, because with The Athletic, you'll feel like you've never stopped learning about quality football content. Is that right? Uh, I think you are on on the right lines, mm, but yeah. could they download all of the athletic? No, that, well, I don't. That's not it doesn't really work. Like the app. That, does it? You get yeah. the app, yeah. yeah. I tell you what, I read some good stuff over the weekend. I read something I missed it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Laurie Whitwell's maybe it was last week. Laurie Whitwell's piece on Paul Pogba. We'll come to that later. There's two amazing anecdotes I'd never heard before at the very beginning of that. I'll, I'll tell you all about them later. But uh, visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO in order to complete that transaction. Thank you very much. Okay, without further ado, then I will leave you on the warm hands and the cool embrace of Jonathan Ross Doc McKenzie. <laughs> Yes, football stuff. Well, first, some news. I don't know how we missed this a couple of weeks ago. I think, i tell you what it was. It was the, uh, Jake Daniels, the Blackpool player who came out as gay a few weeks ago. I think he came out on publicly on a Tuesday, which is the day after we record the podcast. And then there was a whole week of stuff, and then we didn't mention it on the Monday. But of course, last week as well, Scottish referees, two of them, Craig Napier and Lloyd Wilson, also came out publicly as gay via the Scottish FA uh, last week. Here's what Napier had to say uh, to BBC Sport. He said, the response we've had has been fantastic. The ripples are already in effect. The reach has been global. I've had messages of support from as far as Namibia and Tajikistan. And domestically, the support has been overwhelming. And of course, a few weeks ago as well, Jake Daniels of Blackpool became the first or the UK's first active male professional footballer to come out as gay also. I mean, there's no analysis to do of this short of saying fantastic. Yes, I don't know what else I can say, add to it. It's great. No, and it, the thing the thing that's nice about it for me as well, like the re- reason it resonated last week is that the two referees said that they were inspired by Jake Daniels partly is the reason that they came out as well. So, you know, obviously it's up, up to people whether they wish to do mm-hmm. this or not, but it's the, the idea that it might kind of have a knock-on effect is, uh, is nice, John. Mm, yeah, and as you said, if they referees do want to come out in future, best to do it on a Monday so they can get in the podcast. Get in the podcast, exactly. That's I know that's the main reason everyone would decide to uh, to let people know about their um, 
sexual orientation preference? It's probably important that it was a youngster because Daniel's is about 17, I think. I think he's so 17, yeah. The really young, maybe that's what it took. It has to be someone young who would do it. I don't know. I mean, he said he was inspired himself by the Australian guys. His name Josh Cavallo, I think, something like that. Oh, can't remember his name. But um, he came out a few few months ago as well in, in Australia. Didn't he? Well, anyway, hopefully it sparks a chain reaction. And hopefully, you know, one day it'd be lovely to reach a point where, where um, it wasn't an important thing to do. But uh, it is at the moment. So Already has sparked a chain reaction, right? It's not, that's a good thing. Sure. If you've named four people who've yeah. been prompted. And yeah, an even bigger chain, a bigger chain, a bigger chain. Anyway, well done to everyone involved. Good stuff. And it is it's very nice to see that the responses to it have been overwhelmingly supporting uh, in large part as well, which is lovely. Also lovely. Well, two different kinds of lovely. Wales won nil Ukraine. Would have been lovely if Ukraine had won as well. Possibly should have on the, the basis of the play in the game. But it is Wales's first time at the World Cup since 1958, just shortly after you were born, John McKenzie. That's right, yeah. I don't remember that, that particular World Cup. But, no, people yeah. don't tend to remember their first, do they? But it was quite moving at the end to watch the Ukraine players uh, heading over to the little corner of Ukrainian fans. The Wales players also went over and, and clapped afterwards. I think it's one of those sort of awkward affairs in a way, isn't it? Because... Um, you know, the Welsh team were saying beforehand, JJ, that they knew the world was against them in a way. But they did the right thing, which was to leave everything out there and treat the opposition players with respect and, you know, play football. I think they approached it a lot better way than Scotland did in the similar sort of situation. Sure. So obviously that was last week when Scotland got done by Ukraine, outplayed all over the, the game. I thought Wales conceded a lot of big chances and were quite fortunate to get through. They maybe got the luck that Scotland didn't deserve anyway. Possible. But, um, you could call that, it luck. You could call it Wayne Hennessy and Ben Davis, I suppose. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's just Gareth Bale just hitting a free kick. It isn't even that good. The, un, all the, the unfortunate sure. or fortunate uh, free kick header that you get from that. Yeah. But like uh, before the Scotland game, I thought Ukraine might be really emotional and really take that into the game and would lose sight of what they were doing. But if anything, they looked far more switched on, focused, far more of that than Scotland were. Yeah. I'm thinking the Zinchenko was crying. I had he broke down into tears when he was doing this pre-match press conference. Sure enough, right, it's a big thing going through, and they know the weight of what they're mm-hmm. they're trying to do, and it represents. I mean, it's, yeah, it's huge for everyone there. Wales went into it and wanted to beat them. Dan James got a yellow <laughs> card for screaming "f off" at the ref after about four minutes of play. <laughs> I yeah. remember thinking, okay, yeah, they seem fired up. Yeah, I think Scotland were almost like oh, I feel a bit bad that you know these guys are here. So it's possible Wales that's didn't. the case. It's also possible that they just didn't play that they, well. They right? were garbage. Sure. Yeah, we didn't deserve it. Yeah. Like we said, I think the analysis of this game is purely that Wales managed to win it with one of those sort of fortunate jammy free kick goals that you sometimes yeah. get and then held on really well with battling bravery. Yeah, um, it was so open. It was kind of funny to watch after watching like the closing rounds of the Champions League and big games in the Premier League over the last month. Difficult, complex tactical battles. Not to take anything away from Wales or Ukraine as international football teams, but the game it was like end to end. There was no one in the middle of the field. It was very amusing from that perspective. But of course now uh, Wales joined Group B in the World Cup, as we said, with their first one since 1958. Group B, of course, includes England, the USA and Iran. Well, this is great because it can prolongs my theory that this is what's going to happen to England in the... Uh, that they're not going to go the through group. the group stages. They're going to draw with Wales because uh-huh. Wales will be really good. Against <laughs> England, they always step it up. 
and they'll get one of those sort of jammy goals. Maybe they'll even win. It'll be a nil-nil. Remember Scotland drew with England? No one saw that coming. Suddenly remembering, John, I don't know if you ever saw any of our Euros coverage from last summer when JJ had first joined, uh, but I was surprised how angry I became with him over the course of that month. <laughs> Just uh, did, yeah. his constant desire for England to lose. It's not that. Yeah, I want them to do yeah, well until no, there's, there's always no, 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 no there's always a certain point where then it becomes funny. And uh, you just say that. You just pretend that you want them. I don't just say it. You pretend that you you don't want them to lose, but secretly you do. And then I feel that like you tell me with your eyes. I always want them to do well subtle behaviour. Until certain things happen. Yeah, yeah. So they're gonna draw Wales, then Iran are gonna be really hard to break down, and England aren't good at beating those teams. They aren't. The low-scoring games. Do you, what, do you they live score in from set pieces. When, are you, set pieces. when are you remembering? That's what's going to happen. And they're going to draw with Iran. And then the United States are going to be really up for it as well. And they'll get yeah. a little surprise. And do you think the teams draws, at the World Cup will be up for it? Is that what you're draws. saying? That's your professional analysis. The teams that go to the World Cup will be I up for England it. I think England don't play well against teams who sit back in a block and stop them from playing. I think Wales will be pumped, and that makes a real difference. You John, get Wales have quite a good opportunity, though. Don't I mean, like you know, three points, and then they're out. <laughs> I'm not saying it's See a, uh, it's a, uh, it's not extremely doable. But as far as the World Cup group groups go for Wales, like it's pretty doable, isn't I it? I think anyone in that group is going to look at it and say, "We've got a good chance here." Yeah. Do you support England? I follow Scotland, JJ. Do you? I do actually. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Joe's made a big thing of my name being Jonathan Ross Mackenzie. Is there a more Scottish name than that? So. I don't know, J.J. Bull the Bullard. Sounds American, doesn't it, really? Yeah, it does a bit. You sound like an American. It's not my actual name, the Bullard, though, is it? Well, also, your parents are English, so let's not pretend. That's true, they are, yeah. Uh, Fine, okay, well, (laughs) moving on, delighted. Lionel Messi scored all five goals in Argentina's 5-0 win over Estonia, and in doing so, gang, he surpassed Ferenc Pushkas on the all-time men's international goalscorers list, now fourth with 86 goals. I was going to do a quiz, but I realised I've written the answer in the question. Do the quiz anyway, I reckon. Uh, do you want to guess who's in first place? <laughs> I want to guess. I don't know. I'll, I'll let JJ go. First. No, no, you take you take an easy one on your first okay, day, yeah. John. I, I think it might be Ronaldo. I it think is. it is. Do you want to guess how many goals yeah. he scored? Well, it's over 100, isn't it? So yeah. Let's go with... Let's go with 117. It's 117 goals. There you go. You know, he's got three more years on him. So maybe Messi you, will you score. You knew that, right? You didn't guess that. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I def- definitely mm. guessed it. He wasn't guessing. It would be good if he'd guessed that, right? Anyway, uh, <laughs> the reason I've written this down in the podcast plan, I'll tell you, is because I once worked over the weekends. I did about four shifts on the ITV sports desk. Just me. And uh, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> Will, who, who worked, I don't know if Will still works there, but he, he hired me. He was a nice guy, Will. But one weekend, Aguero scored five goals in the Premier League. And uh, I was working there, just didn't really think anything of it until Will <laughs> sent me an email about 45 minutes later saying, do you not think Aguero scoring five goals is worth a news story? And I thought, oh yeah, I guess, I guess when a player scores five goals, it's a big deal, isn't it? So that's just stuck in my my memory bank. I've put this in the podcast. I don't have anything to say about it. I just figured you have to mention it when someone scores five goals. I always thought it was pronounced Ferenc Puskas. So it sounded like you said Frank Puskas to me, which I like more. I said, uh, I said Ferenc. I know. Yeah. I thought it was French, but I didn't know. It's Ferenc Faros, isn't it? So yeah. I guess it's just like the short form of Ferenc. Ferenc. Frank. Ferenc Puskas. I'm pretty Frank sure that no when it comes to Frank. Hungarian Frank names, Puskash. if you're pronouncing them, you're pronouncing them wrong. So yeah. Pushkash, I'm pretty sure, is is correct. <laughs> I think that's right. That's, that's, that's the Dutch right. pronunciation. Fering, oh, I don't Fering know if I'm right or you're right. I don't know. Who knows? Who it's knows? Exactly well, anyway, Argentina right. also beat Italy in the uh, finale. Oh, 
self-conscious now. The finalissima, the, the, which is the game between the champions of Europe and South America. I knew that before uh, yesterday. So, you know, it's, it's a strong Argentina. It's so is it the first one? Yeah, I don't think you'd be expected to know that. It's good. That I, well, that explains why I didn't know that then. Uh, you feel confident about Argentina heading into the World Cup, John? Yeah, I watched bits of the Argentina-Italy game and I mm. thought Messi looked absolutely imperious. It was Did lovely he? to see. Yeah, it was like the Messi of old. Scintillating. Um, yeah, I made a point of going to uh, the Etihad this, this season to see PSG versus Man City because I've never seen Messi live. And he was a bit disappointing, oh, to be honest. Shame, I've done this with a few sportsmen, actually. Uh, I did it with Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker player. He got gobbed by someone. I can't even remember. Mark Allen or something. You can't um, even remember. That's how bad yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get the sense of excitement when Messi got the ball? Though I've seen him a couple of times. And every time he gets the ball, you feel it in the crowd. It's weird. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's definitely a few sportsmen, I think, who have like an aura about them. Mm. I saw Tiger Woods live, and, and that was weird. Like I'm, I'm not the sort of person that sort of gets overawed by the idea of someone standing like... 20 metres away but I definitely mm. did with it's a good job because I'm in the same room as you yeah, as yeah I'm this very feeling that a little job. bit right now yeah. yeah there was a really good chat Messi did with someone I can't remember who it was did you read that the interview he did did I read the chat Messi did with someone yeah <laughs> it was an, a magazine or a, or a news a magazine or a news <laughs> I can't remember newspaper mm -hmm. doesn't matter anyway keep talking he was <laughs> explaining how he really got done in by Covid before when he was at PSG when oh, he really moved. so the reason one of the reasons um, he was very poor like had a bad season it's actually quite unlucky. I think he hit the bar an awful lot of times and um, I need to find out what his XG was, whatever, because maybe he was underperforming. But sure. he didn't play very well, we know that. The move really hit him. So they didn't know they were going to have to move until they did all of a sudden. Then he had to move his children across to France, obviously him and his wife sure. went across and they struggled with that. Um, very emotional, Didn't wasn't really sure what was going on because that was a huge life change all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Then also he got an injury. I think he got a, a muscle injury or something like that, or maybe to his knee. I can't remember what that was either. Really good anecdote so far. I can't remember half of it. Mm. And then uh, he got COVID, but he couldn't train properly and he couldn't breathe properly. He said like his lungs were affected or something oh. like that. Basically he got, he got it bad. He was coughing a lot, um, couldn't train, came back early to try and train because he desperately wanted to prove himself, but he went back too early and so it wasn't, and by the time he got, um, he was starting to get back into a rhythm, I think was the game that they lost to Real, wasn't it? Uh, in the Champions them? League, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So by that time, he still wasn't quite ready. And then it was the season was over, basically, because that's all they play for, PSG. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he had like, uh, in terms of goal output... Six goals in La Liga. Six uh, Liga, goals in Liga, which I mean... 10 XG, so he's only performed by four goals. So. Well, also but in comparison XG's to like his output for every other season ever, that's quite a significant drop of yeah, season. Yeah, it's, it makes it's, sense. yeah. He's made things more happen. than 20 XG pretty much in every season for the last four seasons. Right. And then he's halved it this season. So yeah, it's definitely a drop off. Also, I mean, this is first new club with first new surroundings where not everything is built around him. That's the other thing is that it, Barcelona mm. was built around him, all of it. And he knew it yeah. inside out. Like you look at the example of Ronaldo, who's went from, you know, uh, sporting to United to Real to wherever he's gone. And, um, he's just to fit in a different way and it's a different kind of player. Whereas Messi's was uh, incredible. And I think he's the best player ever, but he's built around that La Masia thing where he's built in certain structures and certain ways of playing. So, and the people he's played with his whole life, like PK, Busquets, everyone would just know exactly where he is at any given moment. Whereas now he's got to adjust to that while also dealing with the adjustment of a whole new lifestyle. And a, he's a human person. Different kind of expectations as well. Cause of course the expectation at Barcelona is that you win everything every year. But I think that the expectation that PSG win the Champions League with Messi and Mbappe, it's not better or worse. It's just a different kind of environment to be in, I suppose, mm -hmm. isn't it? Well, hopefully we'll see him get back to his best. Uh, then it'd be lovely to see Messi have a nice World Cup. William Saliba, 
Here's an interesting one, John. William Sleever, it seems like he's confirmed his return uh, to Arsenal, or at least his, his return to Arsenal has been confirmed. 21 years old, he still hasn't made an appearance. He was signed in 2019 for £27 million from St Etienne. People were very excited about him, and I've heard people describe him as, you know, one of the best young centre-backs in the world. Kind of odd at times that he hasn't featured for the team, or at least, you know, there were opportunities last season perhaps for him to stay what do you think of him as a as a player is he everything that people say he can be it's definitely an interesting one I spent a lot of time yesterday watching Saliba in preparation for this because I haven't been really keeping up with Liga for the last few seasons we've been on three loans now I think he went back mm. to Saint-Étienne when he was first bought and then went to Nice and uh, was at Marseille last season and he's put up amazing numbers for, for Marseille so everyone was talking about it he, he just won the young player of the year for, the, for in Ligue 1 and um, 2,834 passes is the number that everyone's going on about because it's the high, I think it's the highest number of passes and I'm not sure if it's in top 5 league but certainly in Ligue 1 right so then, also suggestive of Marseille's style of play I suppose yeah sure and Marseille are a possession team but he's also got good numbers elsewhere. He's potentially a better carrier, I think, than he is a passer of the ball. And he's got, again, the most progressive carries in the league, the most successful dribbles by a centre-back in the league as well, 31. Uh, but also got he's got decent-ish defensive numbers as well. So right. in terms of why he's not really worked out Arsenal, I guess it's more to do with the, the squad that Arteta has available to him. I was sort of thinking about this, but it does seem really well-suited for him to now come back in uh, and fill up one of those one of those centre back slots for Arsenal. Is he more like uh, Gabriel or, or Ben White? Yeah, well, he's sort of. I would say maybe a mixture of the two. I don't think he's as good at the on ball stuff as Ben White, but he's definitely better defensively. I would say than Ben White. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, in terms of the defensive stuff, I'm not sure if I would say he was as good as Gabriel, but um, he's definitely better on the ball. And do, do Arsenal play a three ever? They do sometimes, don't they? They can sometimes change. He does it when it's not working, the normal thing that they play, <laughs> yeah. 4-3-1 and 4-3-3. So, I mean, do we think he'll be a rotation option then in this, this season? He's certainly worth it because he's, he's played as a right-sided centre-back in a back four and a left-sided centre-back in a back four and a right-sided centre-back in a back three. And he could definitely play as a centre-centre-back. Right. Um, so I think Which I w- is quite unusual for a defender yeah, to be able to play in all those roles easily, right? Yeah, for sure. And if you actually look at the options that Arsenal have, there's not a great deal to be excited about, I don't think, in sure. the centre back area. So who is there? Um, Callum, Callum Chambers has gone Chambers. to. Who's he gone? Aston Villa, I believe. But oh, who else? Uh, Rob, they got? Rob Holding. Rob Holding, that's the um, one. And then I guess Kieran Tierney could play as an outside centre back in a back yeah. three. Yeah. But I think what, if they did go to a back three, they could stick Saliba in the middle and have Ben White on the right, and then Gabriel on the left. That would probably. Well, he's yeah. carrying the ball. You want him one of the side centre backs, maybe. So you're not leaving the big Yeah, potentially, but I, th- I do think that he actually is quite good at sweeping behind. Mm. You, you would usually put them on the outsides, but again, we've seen in recent seasons, like centre-centre-backs become used as quite aggressive options as well. So, to push um, into the middle. Yeah, yeah. If you, if he was part to. of a, a centre-back partnership with Wesley Fofana at St Etienne, I mm. think. And he was, I think some people I've read have considered him to be the better of the two. But I think yes. Fofana is one of the best young defenders I've ever seen. Yeah. So... He must be quite I spoke good. to a few people yesterday who, who were very complimentary of him. He's, he's interesting to watch because aesthetically he's, he seems a little clunky to me. Like he's obviously really useful productively. Like you look at his numbers, you see what he's doing on the field. But there's just a few things like sometimes he lets the ball run past him when the ball's passed from 
uh, like a teammate from the from the middle and mm. and puts himself under pressure to sort of lump it down the line at times. But he he also like he's good under pressure. He's obviously a good ball carrier, a good dribbler. But sometimes it feels like he doesn't trust himself enough. And I, I noticed actually watching games from the beginning of the season versus the end of the season, he actually seemed to be dropping off quite a lot in possession just mm. to give himself time to pick the ball up. Uh, and I wondered why why he was sort of it seemed like he was almost lacking confidence a little bit when the ball was coming in. I so think Marseille time on the been, ball is something he's not going to have in the yeah, Premier League. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it did sort of make me wonder whether or not that that's one of the reasons that, that Arteta maybe hasn't hasn't wanted to keep him around. But it just seems like, like I said, you look at the squad profile, look at the players they've got. Mm. It seems like a no brainer to at least have him in and and with that flexibility, you know, you could use him. And it felt like Arsenal lacked depth last season. It felt like they fell away at the end because yeah. they let players like Hector Bayer in leave. And then they ended up having to pay Cedric Suarez as, as a, a right back towards the end of the season. Sure. And obviously, they lost Kieran Tierney as well. Like it just felt like they let a lot of players go who actually, if they'd had them around, um, yeah, would have been quite useful. A bit more strength. Worth saying, I think Arteta has said when asked about this uh, that the only reason that he let Saliba go to Marseille was because he wouldn't have had the minutes that maybe he needed at Arsenal. Or that, you know, at least at Marseille, he's had a full playing season. It's interesting, uh, though, we talked about this yesterday, but there, as you as you rightly mentioned, like there were quite a few minutes going. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, I suppose there's a difference between, you know, playing a full season and, you know, being you a sub. Plan your, your season, not assuming all your players are going to get injured all of the time, I mm. suppose. But you probably don't. You, I would have thought a Premier League manager does plan the season expecting injuries to all their starters. I know, but then what you want probably is someone who's ready to cover and be at a certain like lower level that can just sort of cover that rather than someone who needs to learn and make the mistakes. You don't mm. want to dent their confidence. So if you think you've got a top tier player coming through, you want to make sure they're playing games where they can get the necessary experience so they're not going to potentially suffer confidence collapses but can just mm. not end your career, but yeah. stop you developing the way you should. And you go somewhere where they're more comfortable and they can grow... Like, we don't know what he's like as a person. Like, he maybe needs to be somewhere else. And Arteta read it that way as part of his management. Maybe, he needs to go somewhere yeah. else to be amongst other people to be able to come in as more of a grown-up or something like that. Well, there's another interesting element to this, of course, as well, which is that he was signed three years ago. He only has two years left on his contract. Like, if he plays really well this year, he could get snapped up by another team, hypothetically, right? Or at least the club are in have a, a slightly less bargaining position. Maybe he'll extend this summer and this conversation is, is, is useless. If he doesn't, then, you know, he's near the end of his contract. Now, I think that adds a little element to it. But fine, interesting. We will be keen to see Saliba in the team to see how that goes. Let's have a quick break. And then when we come back, we will discuss Daniel Farker. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Daniel Farker <laughs> joins uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. This is interesting. This is interesting. Firstly, let me say, I had completely forgotten that he'd gone to Krasnodar, and then when I read that he joined Borussia Mönchengladbach, there was a sort of line there saying, of course, he had gone to Krasnodar to be the coach, left, obviously, without... Uh, managing any games. Borussia Mönchengladbach, though, it's, it's, it's sort of, the reason this interests me is because it sort of feels like a step up in a way. I mean, Mönchengladbach, they're a big team in the Bundesliga. They had a poor season and finished 10th in the Bundesliga this season. He's going, going in to replace Adi Huta, which is their lowest league finish in over 10 years. But I think, John, this is like something about the perspective of fans from different places. Like supporters of Premier League teams probably think, 
well, Varka did okay at Norwich, but also got them relegated and his showing in the Premier League was pretty poor overall. But it seems like, you know, at least the board at Mönchengladbach and perhaps uh, fans in Germany will look at him and think, well, he did a fantastic job getting Norwich promoted. Slightly different perspective, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, the majority of fans of Premier League sides are not going to be watching the championship anyway. Um, so f- for them, they'll, they'll sort of just assume that Norwich always, they're always coming up. You put anyone in charge of them and, and, and you'll come up. But I think if you compare them against a lot of clubs who are getting promoted, they do a really good job of making the most of what they have. Yeah. And I'm afraid I've only got the numbers in, in euros here. But like, if you look at the... Oh, that, can't, that just won't do at all. <laughs> Not here on I'll, Brexit I'll quick, podcast. I'll do a quick mental shimmy in my head but yes, please. just in terms of like net transfer spend he's only been in the negative for two of the five seasons that he was at Norwich and that was when they went up into the Premier League and sure. the first season they came up they only had a net negative of 6.6 million euros yeah. so that's nothing like obviously this last season gone they did spend a little bit more and they their transfer activity was a little bit less than impressive this season but yeah. overall pushing 50 million euros net spend in the positive. So they made a lot of money. And obviously when they've dropped down a division, they've sold all of their good players who performed well in the Premier League, had to rebuild the team and still brought them up again as well. So it's definitely one of those ones where I think people underestimate the inequality of the of the Premier League. If you actually look at what he's working with, he's mm-hmm. done a really good job, uh, and he's yeah well well respected in Germany anyway because he had a, a decent stint with Borussia Dortmund. Zwei. Zwei. Zwei, yeah. Zwei to Dortmund. Yeah, <laughs> right. okay. So I think that's, generally that's, there's a lot of coaches who've gone through that sort of route. So Eric Ten Hag spent some time at Borussia Dortmund, Zwei. Yeah. Um, so th- there's the expectation that these guys are, actually Top I think that might be wrong. Tier. He maybe went to, did he go to Bayern? He was at Bayern, yeah. yeah right. He, he was he was in the second Bayern he was team. Ba- yeah. Bayern Spa, yeah. yeah. Well, well, Guardiola was there. but I was going to let that one slide, No, John, it's all right. But, it's it's uh, important you know, to be correct on these things. Yeah, and, I only remembered when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> What's he got to work with at Mönchengladbach? Why, why did they have such a bad season? Yeah, it's a really weird one, Gladbach, because like you said, they they traditionally like one of the big teams in Germany. They were in the 70s, had a rivalry with Bayern, so they were like right at the top. Of, of the division and um, it sort of feels as though they've lost their way a little bit ideologically identity mm-hmm. identically is not the right word but in no. terms of their identity sure um, so they, they had a manager in Dieter Hecking who had been there for, for years they had a director of football in Max Abel who'd been there for, for years and it felt as though he was playing sort of fairly stolid stodgy football mm. um, that wasn't particularly interesting in any way and, and then when when Hecking finally left they brought in Marco Rosa the um, the guy who was at Dortmund last season so sort of really high intensity pressing coach um, and it, it seemed as though they were moving maybe towards more of an uh, of that sort of modern identity that that, that German football was moving towards um, when Rosa went to Dortmund um, they brought in Adi Hutter who'd been at, at Frankfurt and he was a similar sort of uh, coach insofar as he wanted wanted a lot of high intensity pressing he wanted 1v1s all over the field and stuff like that and Gladbach I think have traditionally been sort of like a flamboyant attacking side Mm. Uh, and it it almost felt as though they were trying to reimagine themselves at a time when maybe high intensity football is not quite so successful in Germany Mm. Um, and so yeah moving on to someone like Daniel Farker then is interesting because he is going to be that kind of manager who is going to be playing possession heavy, actually quite exciting attacking football. So yeah, uh, he's also a very good man manager. Yeah. And the reports that I heard was that both Marco Rosa and Adi Hutter are both hard managers to work with. And by the end of, of last season, I think that he'd completely lost the dressing room. Hutter, right. So whereas as far as I'm aware, everyone loves Daniel Farker. Um, they were all genuinely sad to see him go. At, at Norwich, yeah, exactly. Right? So I think that that might be, uh, on at the back of their minds as well if we could just bring someone in who's going to maybe 
win the dressing room back and, and, and play a bit more of a, mm. a, a flamboyant attacking style of football that will go down well. I recognise a lot of these names. My uh, my uh, Munch and Gladbach knowledge is poor, but as I'm looking at the team sheet, I can see Alison Player, I, I know, Braylon Bolo, also Dennis Akaria, who I believe has come up several times in uh, sensible transfers videos, as well as uh, Florian Norhaus, as, and Matthias Ginter, Jan Sommer. It's, it's a fairly good team, isn't it? Marcus Turan as well. Yeah, the good team. Ginter's gone to Freiburg. Right. Um, and uh, Stefan Leiner. Zakari has gone to Juventus. But yeah, the, the, the team is very good. I, I was actually looking on Transfermarkt yesterday at the squad values. Now, mm. obviously, you take Transfermarkt on squad values with a pinch of salt. But I think in the last eight months, like the, the squad value dropped by something like 80 million. Oh. Um, so they've. They've got a lot of good players there, but the, it's been so bad this season that that it's had an impact on on the way that they're being valued. So I think there's a lot for him to work with there, definitely. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe if he can get it working, people will be surprised at how quickly they come up blocks. But I think they finished in the bottom half of the table for the first time in something like ten seasons yeah. last season. So something needed to change, and it's certainly an interesting uh, appointment, I think. Mm. Well, I'll be looking out for Borussia Mönchengladbach next season, as I know. Well, all the Norwich fans. That's quite nice. I quite like that when that happens, when a manager leaves the, uh, a supporter group are fond of, and then they, they follow the coach on their journey beyond. Have you done that with anyone at Aberdeen? Um, that's a good question. Ferguson? Well, I mean, most people in Aberdeen <laughs> support Man United because of Alex Ferguson going there. Sure. Also, conveniently, he won loads of stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the It is reasons. convenient when a manager wins things. Yeah. Because it's, you know, because it's kind of their thing. job. Don't know, people in Aberdeen have, <laughs> like, they'd like to see Mark McGee doing badly for some reason. Who's Mark McGee? Is he the Mark Aberdeen McGee. coach? No, 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 no. Who's that? He was Aberdeen coach. He was awful. He was Mark one of the worst. Mark McGee. Should yeah. I know who that is? Um, Scottish striker. He played the 1983 Cup Winners' Cup final where Aberdeen beat Real Madrid 2-1 to win. John's nodding. Cup Winners' He's Cup final. managed by Ferguson, right? Yeah. Right? And, then, players, and then went yeah. on to be a manager somewhere else and everyone was like, oh, is this... He actually look at the Ferguson successors like the, the the disciples of Ferguson not not many of them go on to be good managers uh, right? Miller did, well he's alright at Aberdeen but uh, like um, Alex McLeish did alright uh, Gordon Strachan made a career out of it I suppose from Aberdeen there's a few players that went on to be coaches like Neil Simpson is still coaching there uh, Joe started yawning and I, th- I lost my place there <laughs> no it was a t- that was a genuine tired yawn not a bored no, yawn it? well I forgot what I was saying anyway I wish it's I had, for the best. had a bit for you tell me about I mean we did I ask I asked you last week about Perisic to Tottenham didn't I but I've written it down here again because Michael Cox, one of the examples, one of the many examples of the high quality content on The Athletic that was released just in the last few days. I think, I believe this Perisic to Tottenham piece was released on Sunday. Very much worth reading. Michael Cox wrote a great article about uh, this move for The Athletic, looking both at the, the balance between youth and experience, specifically in wide areas, which is something I never thought I'd read about. Although when he started describing it, I did think it was interesting because I do have this notion, as many people do, that the older you get, the closer to the middle you go, so that you have to do less running. It's like the less athletic area. It's you a know. different kind of running. So you tend to do yeah. loads of high dynamic sprints, explosive sprints when you're wide areas, but in midfield, you're mostly just trying to get in position. Michael Cox told me. He's, did uh, he? Yeah. He told me in the article, yeah. <laughs> Busted that little myth I have. He also, the other thing he, he, he did in that, um, which I'd quite like to bring up now, is uh, examining uh, the list of wingbacks who actually ha- have moved from Serie A to the Premier League, who looked outstanding in the Serie A and then didn't quite, didn't quite do that well. There's a, there's a sort of, um, I'm logging in. I'm logging in. I'm logging in. I've, I've logged list. in. I've got the list in front of me if you'd like it. No, it's okay. I've got it here. Thank you, though, John. Look at that. Very helpful. You didn't have the list, did you? 
You didn't no. even know I was going to talk about this, JJ, because he didn't read the plan. I Here's the list of wingbacks uh, from Michael Cox, uh, or fullbacks, who've moved from Serie A to the Premier League in the last 10 years, yeah? Jack Cancelo. Well, Jack Cancelo is on the list and is obviously incredible, right? He's the standout player. Marcus Alonso is a player. I'm only going to read the names of players that I recognise, because otherwise I we go on forever. Timothy, End of list. <laughs> Timothy Castagna. Juan Cuadrado, remember him? Yeah. He was good. He was a winger, though, really. Matteo Damian. But no one who goes to United ever does well. No, that's true. Who else do we have on here? Jose Holabas. We have Maurizio Ila. Stefan Lichtsteiner. Do you remember he went to Arsenal? That was bad, wasn't it? He was about 40 years old at the time, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> a few of these players were, were pushing on a little bit. Well, Ashley Young is an example. I like that he's included because technically he did move to the Premier League from Serie A. It doesn't quite make the point. But I guess apart from Joao Cancelo, Marcos Alonso has been uh, you know, fairly successful. Quadrado, I think Chelsea sold on for some money. There's not that many players on the list that were really good, although many of them were excellent in Serie A. Well, I'd say Conte is the king of the wing-back coaching. Mm. You get Victor mm. Moses as the, the king-back. The king-back. Yeah. Victor Moses was a, was really good under him at uh, Chelsea. He took, he took him into Milan, didn't he? Did he sign them? He must have done. Yeah, I think so. And he obviously took Ashley Young over as well. Yeah. So Ashley Young was coming back from having been with, with him as well. Having been Conte'd. That's mm. right. And if you've got experience and are a very good positionally, then you don't have to do all the running. I mean, you still do, but yeah. not as much because you're already in the right position and having to make up yards to get back in. So Perisic is, is playing as a wing-back now. Just, I'm not saying he'll yeah. be bad, by the way. I'm just, you know, setting the stage. Oh, no, I get the idea. But this is the thing, like, Conte's gone from Serie A to Premier League to Serie A to the Premier League. So he knows what the transition would be like and what the differences mm. are. And he knows exactly what he wants from his wing-backs because they're really, really important. Mm-hmm. And they tend to play very high up the pitch. So having someone who is really good in attack is very useful. Yeah. It's, I guess it depends on... What uh, Spurs? So the left centre back currently is Ben Davies plays there. He's basically a left back. Yeah, but the, aren't they buying a centre back? They probably will. But yeah. for example, I mean, they've got that centre back there, same as like Kieran Tierney, who's a left back, can play there. So uh, essentially, Ben Davies is fantastic at the weekend for Wales. Yes, and well, he's a good player. Yeah, uh, but this, yeah, same sort of thing as Tierney, a really good aggressive kind of centre back who's really a full back who can get um, move into that wide space to mm-hmm. make sure you cover that, so you don't have to worry so much about it. the wing back being out of position high up the pitch because you've basically turned that five into a four, yeah, really easily or into a three, whatever it is. I think Perisic would be decent. We'll come back to Perisic, but lots of rumours about uh, Jed Spence as well, Tottenham being interested in Jed Spence. Quite like the idea that the Conte team next season is going to have Perisic and Spence. He would be, I think he'd be a great player for yeah. Spurs, Jed Spence. I watched a lot of, of them before. Both, both tall players as well. Like that's a lot of extra height added to the team in those wide areas. Spence is super attacking as well. Like yeah. always high up the pitch like a winger. Yeah, he would suit that very well. It's a shame if he'd leave Forrest, though. Like, I'd, I have a thing that I want Forrest to do quite well. But he's already left. I mean, he was only there on loan, right? Yeah. yeah. So they can't sign him. But this is what like Nick Miller was telling us last week. Is mm, that the millman. They have to spend a lot of money just to stay still. And so there might be better value elsewhere with non, I guess, English players cost a lot more. Sure. So yeah. Spurs could afford that, whereas Forrest maybe don't want to have to spend 20 million or something on a, a, a wing back. And you bring someone like Perisic in as well, because you have to think like how you develop players like Sessegnon the players he's got ahead of him now are like Reggion, who should still be playing a lot because he's done well for them and he will continue to improve under Conte would have thought but then you've got Perisic as well what are you seeing Don? It's leaving isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Where is he? Re- Reggion as far as I'm aware like Reggion hasn't performed well under Conte which everyone was a little bit surprised about and mm. I think this sort of is, is interesting when thinking about the Perisic move because the assumption is always that wing backs are always going to be just doing 
long busting runs all the time. Whereas I think there's a lot of things about Conte's system that that actually allows you to have maybe slower wing backs or less athletic wing backs. So for example, Matt Doherty. Yeah. Uh, Doherty or however we're supposed Doherty, to say it. Doherty, I think. Doherty, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Everyone shouts at me for that one. Yeah. There's no scene in it. It's Doherty. I know, but it, it, he's Irish, right? And then it's like the you yeah. basically pronounce it the same. I don't know. It's Doherty. I, I can't get it right. Now anyway, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's obviously like a slower, maybe less athletic uh, wing back and he's actually done quite well under... Under Conte as why well. Is so. why, why is that? Why are they allowed to be slower? Well, I think because with Conte, so much of it's about automatisms and uh, automatisms. By which you mean like yeah, just running planned ways of moving yeah. the ball. So with, with Conte, what as you're in seeing you is... As you pass here, you, I know I'm simplifying yeah, sure. it to the extreme, no, that's but what it, that's you pass what it here, is. you pass here, you pass here. We practice yeah. that in training, we do that in the game. Yeah, if we're trying to build up from the back and they're pressing us in a certain way, this is mm. the the route that we'll use to sure. evade the press and get the ball down the field. Boys, do automatism <laughs> 6 seven, four, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's why I guess sometimes managers like that can maybe have a bit of a shelf life at, at a club because when teams figure them out, is that the same thing yeah. as Marcelo Bielsa does a lot of that stuff as well. But with his wingbacks, he's gonna, you're going to see his wingbacks popping up at the back post a lot. Uh, but also, like, I think a lot of the automatisms actually allow you time and space on the ball. And I guess if you're if you're using like some of the ideas of positional play, you're, you're wanting to get your players into sort of what they call qualitative superiorities, which is just basically getting into situations where like your players are better than the other players that they're up against. Yeah. Um, and I think that Perisic will be good for that too because he's like supremely two footed. So if you're if you're giving if you're, you're developing a system where you don't need to be like necessarily running 100 miles an hour all the time you're getting Perisic into these situations where he's going to go 1v1 against players mm. and he's got the ability to go either way with the, with his feet to cross the ball in I think that you he, he could perform quite quite well for Spurs I guess the issue is he's, he's just old isn't he so mm. what he's 33 and at some point he will drop off and we say this every season about Perisic and it doesn't happen but it will happen so yeah. I guess the question is like how many minutes to Spurs want to get out of Perisic in the next couple of seasons because I think he's on a two-year contract to make it worthwhile. But I'm pretty sure that if they got, you know, if they got 1,500 minutes out of him next season, they'd be pretty happy with that. And, and like you say, Conte has rotations of, of, of wingbacks. He's going to have, he could feasibly have five wingbacks available to him because he likes to bring his wing wingbacks off after like 60 minutes or so, doesn't he? So mm. you'll, you'll have that rotation. You'll have probably two wingbacks on either side and then Perisic is two-footed so you could feasibly use him on both sides well you could use him as part of the front three as well if you want to you know? yeah yeah and and then like like JJ was saying like he's going to be able to help these youngsters come through someone like Ryan Sessegnon in particular who mm. has sort of had a, a weird career insofar as he sort of burst onto the stage and then went off to Germany and came back but seems to be settling in quite well under Conte I think it'd be good for him to, to work mm. with someone like Perisic it's quite like an American football sort of thing automatisms isn't it you know I feel like where the coach calls the play that sort of you know mm. stop start thing what are you going to say you're looking at me like you're going to say something I that was a really good answer wasn't it I was, I was thinking of saying Alex who <laughs> who <laughs> who's that guy never come back <laughs> um, let's have a break we all need one now don't we <laughs> What a lovely break that was. A fantastic break. I had a nice time. I had a nice time as well. John, did you have a nice time? It was Let's real. talk about Paul Pogba. He's going to leave uh, Manchester United. We all know this. This is the thing I was saying at the beginning of the podcast. Don's going to, producer Don's going to like this. There's some fun uh, stories I'd never heard before in the, in the, in the Laurie Whitwell piece uh, that came out on The Athletic. The first one is um, about Mourinho. So Mourinho holding a meeting with players in 2018. He told Pogba to stay away from the meeting due to his injury. So when Pogba wasn't there, he told the other players, 
players can't be a captain or second captain in Pogba's case. He was like the vice captain or whatever when they want to leave. Uh, and he was laying the groundwork for sort of taking Pogba's status as a backup captain away. But uh, the, his teammates, because they all like Pogba, they all just sent him voice notes of the meeting. Like immediately they were live, live texting him what Mourinho was basically saying behind his back. And then Mourinho apparently then told Pogba in another meeting in front of other players that he was taking his second captaincy away, which is an example of like one possible reason why he didn't feel that good. You know, that's a maybe thing, right? It's also interesting to think about like the way that he is perceived by some people, Paul Pogba, in the dressing room as a kind of player who causes trouble. Apparently this doesn't happen at all. I'll, I'll come to that later. But uh, maybe that comes from the M M Mourinho era of Mourinho singling out players. But, you know, uh, that guy. Second story, 2020. Uh, so when Solskjaer is a manager, Pogba obviously played some of his best football under Solskjaer, a little bit more, a little bit freed up, I suppose, had a much better relationship with the coach. He apparently texts Solskjaer in the summer of 2020 asking for a new contract. But all the club did, even though they were encouraged to offer a new contract by Solskjaer, all the club actually did was offer an extension to his existing contract, which is the one that's been sat on the table up until now. Which is another possible reason why Paul Pogba felt a little bit dejected or maybe didn't want to stay. Other things, again, like about a little contrary to what some people think, Paul Pogba is apparently described as a dressing room mediator. It's said that Rangnick valued his efforts to mediate aspects of, of the dressing room under his tenure there. It's, he even apparently suggested to Ronaldo at one point that he needed to be more constructive with his feedback to younger players. So there was this moment halfway through the season when we were seeing Ronaldo, I think it happened with Jadon Sancho on the pitch, Ronaldo sort of angrily gesturing to Jadon Sancho for not passing it the right way or whatever. And then that sort of stopped and Ronaldo's tune changed a little bit when he was talking about or seeming on the pitch to talk to young players. Apparently one of the reasons for that is because Pogba had a, a conversation with him. And I did wonder whether like some of his reputation as a player who's a bit of a troublemaker in the dressing room or someone who like is out for himself maybe does come from the Mourinho era when Mourinho singled him out a little bit because it sounds from all of the first case accounts just not true at all. Well, he joined the Mourinho, right? So that was the big signing that they made when he came in and then didn't really suit the way Mourinho wants to play. Mourinho wants a creative outlet because he likes to lock teams down and have absolute control. Talk about automatisms. Like Mourinho wants to have everyone... It's a good band name, isn't it? Yeah. Talk about automatisms. <laughs> right? The new hit. Everyone's talked about in the past that like Pogba's best seasons was when he's at Juventus playing as part of a three and he had like Pirlo and Marchisio and these sorts of players next to him helping him out, right? So he had a really balanced midfield to work off. United have never had a defensive midfielder really of the no. kind of the quality that can play alongside him to support him in the way he wants to play. They've never really had a position for him, but also his decision making is regularly terrible. So he's one of the best technical like technically gifted players that you'll have seen play in the Premier League. Like he's phenomenal and being really tall helps. He takes the ball out of the air and onto his chest, controls it dead, then dribbles past someone. But the amount of times I've seen him lose the ball in the center circle, mm. making what I think is just a silly decision. Then the kind of thing that you wouldn't get from like Josh Brownhill at Burnley, who would actually function better in that role, <laughs> mm. even though he's not as good a player. I think he's a really good player, but he's just not. Oh, here Josh I Brownhill know. bigger than bigger than Paul Pogba. I'm just like, like a player yeah, who like a, suits the yeah, system no, no, no. perfectly, right? Because then Brownhill just gets the job done, does the work. I'm not saying Pogba doesn't work, he does. Mm. But then 
he'll lose the ball and he'll sort of jog backwards to get back in position but that's not what you need in that sort of situation yeah. if you don't have other players carrying you sure so well, it's it's a, here's the thing right like so the, the, Carl Anker of the Athletic also was asked to describe how he'll be remembered you're saying some of these things as well right yeah. Pogba's six years at the club will be remembered as a period of unrealised potential and dysfunction the Frenchman is one of the most dynamic playmakers and dribblers in world football but United rarely played him in his favoured position in left midfield of a 4-3-3 yeah. nor did they ever purchase a mobile defensive midfielder so he might perform comfortably in a deeper position. I think you, you kind of already put the nail on the head, but like, yes, he does have that facet of his game where his decision-making in central areas is not always the most sensible. It didn't really matter as much at Juventus because he was in a midfield three with two other incredible players. And I think it's weird that he's been there for six years, uh, that he has arguably in terms of his individual quality is either what like either the best player at Manchester United or one of the you know top two or three and that they haven't really brought in a coach who's just wants to play in a decisive 4-3-3 style in a way that suits Pogba they haven't bought other players that can help bring the best out of him and yet I feel like on the way out it's like too often the conversation is about his abilities like every player has things that they're good at and bad at and like Paul Pogba as far as I'm aware, has never said he's great at playing in a single pivot in the in central midfield. Like he can play like in, for France. He won the World Cup playing for France. Yeah, but next to Conte, who's like two players, so, so no, it, doesn't, exactly. it doesn't count. He's got cover. That's not that's not playing in a two. That's well, playing in a two with with uh, Angola Conte. At some point, you have to demand consistency. Like the best players are consistently like you want to get a seven or an eight out of ten of them every single Who? game. Who? Which? Who's that? Uh, the best player. <laughs> Give, me <laughs> Give me an example. Give me an example. Uh, Lionel Messi Lionel Messi okay Lionel Messi a player who uh, his entire team was built around who always played in his favour position yeah. who always had other players sitting around him to help when things didn't go well like all of the best players that get those consistent high number performances all doing it in teams that suit the way that they play I know but you, like when's what's an example of a good player like Ronaldo going to Manchester United abs like scored lots, lots of goals this season at times absolutely awful Right, I think he, it's different he for striker though. Because yeah, but I, I think just thinking of a good player that's gone to a team that doesn't suit them. I get the game. I like the game. I'm yeah, just trying okay. to think. Play the game. But like, so, for instance, it's different with a striker with Ronaldo or Lukaku because a lot of the time they will be the furthest up, and their job is not even to be involved. They have a few touches because yeah. their job is to distract and drive the opposition defence back, and then get on to score. Obviously, their actual job is trying to score goals. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with Pogba and like what Carl said with the unfulfilled potential is that clearly Pogba is one of he's a brilliant player. Mm. I also love watching him play. Play, but he's incredibly frustrating because he will be the best player on the pitch ever in one game and the next game he just won't turn up but when you're in the middle of the pitch I'm meant to be dictating it like Paul Scholes used to be absolutely raging talking about him on, as punditry as a player who played in a not dissimilar position with a similar range of passing not quite the with same the, with a similar ability to let players go past him right like, yeah, that's the other thing people forget about Paul Scholes <laughs> is Paul Scholes was not like amazing every game no 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 he scored some incredible goals and made some incredible passes but like definitely had periods of his career where he was guilty of exactly the same things that Paul Pogba is I just think Pogba could have been like and he didn't play I mean, next Kevin, Roy Kevin De Bruyne, right, is a good example. Also, an incredibly gifted technical player. Yeah, but there's something De Bruyne have like like a drive. He ne will never accept losing. He'll be running about the place trying to make things happen, and um, consistently wins. He's maybe in a better supporting structure. But Pogba, I think. F 
Are you saying it, it, Pogba doesn't have the drive to win? Pogba's, no, Pogba's, Pogba's a baller, drive. isn't he? He's a baller. That's what it is. Like what do the you word mean? baller was invented for him. Just someone who, like, when you watch him play, yeah. you know that he's just got the supreme ability with a football at his feet. Forgetting about like tactics or like the game itself. Sure. If you saw him playing in the street, you'd be like, that guy is just incredible. Mm. And I think that that's why it's so hard to read Paul Pogba because he's undoubtedly like one of the best players to ever use a football. And yeah, it's so hard to fit him into a system that, that makes him work. And it, it reminds me of five aside football when yeah. you get one player who's so much better than everyone else, but he's also on the losing team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it that hard though? Like you say, it's so hard to fit him into a system that works for him, but Juventus did it. Like Man United didn't really ever try. They didn't buy a player that could sit alongside him. That he could, did okay, that but it's be... inconsistency. It's the thing like, he, like what did he win at United? He won a, a Europa League maybe? Europa and League and a League Cup in his Cup. first season. And, and got him to second under Solskjaer. And Mourinho did second as well, right? Didn't really do second. Did it, well, that's the thing. See, he did okay. His, his numbers, you don't have to judge him purely numbers because his role would change so much. I think he hit over 10 goals one season in the, I'm looking at who scored. And mm. A lot of his assists that regularly registered are he passes to someone near the halfway line and they run and then score a worldie. Yeah, that, <laughs> that happens works, quite a yeah, lot yeah. for Pogba. Sure. Uh, but there's, like sometimes he turns up and like you say, he's, he was always phenomenal to watch but then he couldn't put him I think he, to be in the top tier you have to be consistent like far more I know but can I the point I'm making we don't have to talk about this all day but the point it's I'm making though. is I think it's virtually impossible to, to say with certainty that he specifically the consistency is as a result of him or that like he shows up in some games and doesn't in others I think that's impossible to say I think the issue is that he's in a team that doesn't suit necessarily the style of play yeah. he comes up against one team that don't try to exploit his weaknesses in midfield which are apparent because he doesn't have a defensive midfielder alongside him he's not in a in, a, in, a, in his favoured formation and that team doesn't try to exploit them he has a great game he has all the time and space in the world and he can make these fantastic passes and the next game you know the other defensive midfielder knows exactly how to take the ball off him or put it past him and again like it's just the the fragilities of the system around him are exposed against some teams and not against others i don't think there's enough information or evidence to say it's him that's not showing up i think the decisions like for a player um, of his importance and his value and what they wanted to get out of him when they signed him mm. the example of like the structure around him being wrong not having a defensive midfielder sure enough it's definitely relevant at some times like some of the mistakes he's made in the middle of the park where he's tried to go past two people when he knows there's no covering player behind him he should know that yeah. he's one he's one of the best players in the team he should know there's no covering player so you can't afford to take the risk in that position it's not like he's going to suddenly turn that, that move into a goal i can't give you a specific example but i know what like two or three times I think when I used to write the Telegraph I've like analysed things he's done before mm. and then he would lose the ball turnover and then wouldn't be able to get back in position and you know you can see either a chance or a goal that's the sort of thing you can't it can happen once everyone makes mistakes now and again but you have to learn from it but he would try the same thing again later on but that's part of what makes him so good it's because six out of seven times it works it, when, and when, it, when it didn't when it works it's amazing it's bad yeah, and not, yeah and that's the problem but when when it works you take the team up the pitch you may get a chance out of it but when you concede it it's a lot worse well, the, I mis think. the mistakes stand out more yeah you, and they, yeah. you to, mentioned Kevin De Bruyne before though having that drive and isn't, isn't that the aspect of Pogba that is his drive that he gets mm. into the situation where it's happened so much in the last few seasons where Manchester United aren't playing well he's like I've got to try and change the game in some way so he starts taking those more high risk um, it may be yeah yeah and because I, I, I agree with uh, we, I agree with Joe well, I'm sure you agree with Joe as well that the system doesn't JJ does agree with me he just won't say that the loud, system doesn't yeah. suit him. I don't think I'm disagreeing with you particularly. let John talk he's new yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> come on John's new yeah the system doesn't suit him but there is a sense at the same time I agree with JJ that like when you when you have a player like 
who is who is a baller like that, who is going to be like a moments player, who can do things that no one else can do, but they maybe have weaknesses off the ball. You have to carry that player to a certain extent as a mm-hmm. team as well. And I guess at, at Juventus, that was fine. They were the five-a-side team with a really good player, but they ended up winning a lot, right? But then he goes to Manchester United and that flips, and it's kind of hard to, to sort of work out how do you get the most out of a player like that in a league which is more competitive, where you're not going to be the team that's probably going to win more times than not mm. in, in the league. So I do think a lot of it does come down to that. But there's definitely a way you could play Pogba and get it to work, but none yeah. of the Manchester United managers have managed to do that. So I guess mm. the, the, in summary of it all is probably that it, he's almost a symbol of what is going wrong at United, signing players they probably didn't need for an awful lot of money, more than he needed to spend, didn't get the best out of them by not supporting that purchase, expecting it to work on its own, then changing the management structure above him so many times that there's no cohesion. Yeah. And then no one benefits yeah, it's sad. He's he's. It's a waste of his best years. Best years, maybe definitely. He would have been a, definitely a, a sort of Ballon d'Or contender, like in with yeah. a serious chan- chance of winning it. And it, at it least he won the World best. Cup. Yeah, that's nice. He's won some things. Yeah, maybe he'll win some stuff with whichever team he goes to now. Yeah. Burnley, right to replace. Yeah, to replace Josh Brownhill. Josh Brownhill yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might win to, the championship. He could go to Real quite <laughs> easily and be in a like long term replacement to. It's not the same. It's not as good as Luka Modric. Modric is a good example. Yeah. You could use Modric, really lifted and Modric Pogba and Casemiro. Yeah, yeah Kroos could come out the team, but you've got Camavinga now replaces him. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. They've got too many good players, really, haven't they? That's played them in good positions. You'll like this, JJ. <laughs> Mr. Consistent James Milner. Now watch JJ is going gonna to get all excited about James <laughs> Milner because he's, what, because he's consistent doesn't let the ball go past him he gets stuck into tackles this is a new one somehow now John's arrived the dynamic has shifted so <laughs> I'm painting you as the proper football man which I quite it's quite fun for me okay. yeah. and you are a proper football man James Milner to stay James Milner has agreed a new one year contract with Liverpool now check this out. Check out this information I got from The Athletic. He is understood to have accepted a significant wage cut to stay at Anfield. And you'll love that. And turned down more lucrative offers, including two-year deals at two other Premier League clubs, apparently. Klopp considers him essential to the team's continued success. JJ, don't you love it when a good boy takes a wage cut? <laughs> uh... <laughs> yes yes and um, question two will you take a wage cut to stay here for another year <laughs> I would prefer not to but you would but, though uh, that's no. true isn't it no. how much what 5% 10% <laughs> why why do you have to cut my wage on air <laughs> <laughs> how important do you think James Milner is to Liverpool now he doesn't really play that much anymore does he I think like, he's one of those behind the scenes well he can cover any position so you want them like a multi-positional player is very useful yeah. to have to fill in the gaps mm. uh, you also, could play him up front couldn't you play him as a nine couldn't you probably you can play him in goal <laughs> well uh, I, wouldn't, I would say that he clearly brings stuff which is not measured in numbers to the, the team and there's, there's examples of him in uh, warm-up and training and stuff where he's ordering, like he's setting the standards. He sets the standards. Yeah. There's a guy who's managing to still play. I think he's, am I the same age as him? Let's find this out. Is he's what the same age as me, which is like. depressing. He's 36 years old. 36. He's a little bit younger than yeah, me. Yeah, I'm older. Much. I'm older than James Milner. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> I was born in, uh, a few months before James Milner. Aren't you 35? No. Are you 37? Are you 36? 36. Yeah. You're all 36. Yeah. I think I'm 36. All 36, aren't we? I thought you were 
But anyway, yeah, fine. Matter. Anyway, this doesn't matter. Just look younger. Yeah. So that's what he brings in. I imagine he'll turn into some sort of coach at some point. Or turn into one. Some sort <laughs> of coach. Yeah. I'll behold. And yeah. I watched um a scene the other day. I don't know if so I was watching it when you were in the office. I watched the whole video on YouTube of a bippity boppity boo. You know, the the alakazula hippadahula dippity doppity do. There's times when I really need you to help me with stuff. Yeah, it was one of those I was watching that. It's a great video. The obviously the story of Cinderella. Gets turned into a, a different woman wearing different clothes. Great fun. They're going to stick a copper mundial on his foot and he's going to become a coach. Exactly. You there you go. Well, that is what they all wear. Yeah. Yeah. Coaches. Yeah. A, yeah. The, the dads, dads like that, don't they? Look at a coach and they say he's wearing the old copas. It's going to be a good one. Have you got anything to say about James Milner? You don't need to. No, he's a good Leeds boy, isn't he? Good yeah. Leeds boy. But yeah, when you're the same age as me, you shouldn't be playing football at, no. in the Premier League. I That's agree. My, my I agree position. with that. <laughs> Let's have a quiz. Time for a quiz? Quiz. Fun quiz. Okay. The quiz here is, can you guess the team with the most minutes played for teenagers? That's the first one. Do you know the answer? It's, I don't it's know. got to be Leeds, surely. It's not Leeds. How's it not Leeds? All we did was play teenagers. I can tell you that Leeds are actually fourth on the list. I don't know. Leeds, uh, Leeds played 1,073 minutes of teenage time, and the team that won guess? this played over double that. Is it Arsenal? No, Arsenal are have comfortably mid-table with 137 minutes played. Uh. I'm, no, I don't know. I, I don't know if teena teenager minutes, like when that stopped. I actually don't is know. This, I just is this, this in something. Premier League competition or in all competition? Premier League. I'm trying to think of all the good young players. Uh, I'll just tell you because yeah, this please. is boring. Yeah. It's Southampton oh. with 2,222 teenage minutes. Who have they got? Livermento? Brogia? Is he Is Brogia under 20? I would have thought I'm so. I'm going to go on FB ref. Yeah, I'm on a, who scored Livramento. I wonder if there's a, there's a more, other distinction though, because Saka is definitely under 20, right, isn't he? Saka's 19, but I think he's the only one they've got. Who's but he would have played minutes. more than 137 minutes this season. Yes, he, he will have done. I think so he, maybe he doesn't count because he's been a senior player for over a season already. Like maybe it's not just about age. Mm. Who could say? Oh, it's, so it's Broya and Livramento. Um, right. So they've got like, yeah, 4,000 minutes between the two of them. Okay. I just realised Eddie Nketiah is 23. He's a lot older than I thought he was. Right. Well, do you want to guess there are four teams on this list? This will be easier, I think. Apparently don't have any teenage minutes at all. Burnley. Burnley is one of them, yes. Man United. Um, Man United is not. Man United is very good. Very good for they teenage always, minutes. Always, what are you talking about? They're always playing young players. It's their big thing. They, I think, well, it's they the only thing they have, JJ. Let them have the that. They, have. Like, like they haven't have played a game for what fifty-seven years or something with it without without <laughs> yeah, one. It's a long time without academy player academy in, yeah. on the bench, yeah. yeah, on the squad. Burnley is one. Yeah, Sp Spurs could be up there. Spurs have played three minutes. Okay, that's pretty low. Isn't three it? teenage minutes. The other, You're opening the, the it. Other ones JJ's I got. opening it. <laughs> I can see you opening it. Oh, the other ones I got were Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea one. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Chelsea is one, yeah. Chelsea also They have, have young zero. players, but not teenagers. Well, their teenagers are all at Southampton, yeah, so that's and, why. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I've got Newcastle as well, Newcastle one. Newcastle are one. They're bottom with zero. Right. Just above them with zero is Leicester City. Okay. The other, the other team... As it, as it happens, though, I don't understand what the parameters for that are. I imagine that for some reason, Saka must not be eligible, maybe because he was already a senior player 
last season. Maybe it's something to do with that. But that was fun, sort of, was it? Maybe to, it wasn't. I want to look at Leeds now, sorry. Because I, I'm sure we've got more, more minutes. No, maybe not. Actually, yeah, you're right. Without Ignore knowing me. the parameters. I've grown tired of the game. Yeah. Questions for John is the next bit. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Although we've done a few of those. but People need to know who John is. <laughs> well, yeah, though, it wasn't those sorts of questions, really. It was more football questions, but you could ask him some of those questions if you want. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and why are you sat next to me? Uh, <laughs> Googling Josh no, Brownhill. It's not a real one. Don't know, do you want to have a question? I've not really switched on today, Joe. That's all right. Don't yeah. worry about it. I'm not really... You were too easy to beat in that argument about Paul Pogba. I know something's wrong, but we'll talk about it after the podcast is finished. You think you beat me? <laughs> I thought See, I mean, yeah, something's you definitely wrong. See who you think know. won the battle in the comments, please, if you're watching this on YouTube. Charizard. I thought I mediated that quite nicely, sort of with a middle position. Yeah. I Tony Blair it Do right bear in mind who your actual line manager is, though. If you oh, agree yeah, with JJ, again, I agree with a part Joe, way next actually, time. Then just there might be a problem. Thinking back. Questions for John. What do you think is interesting for next season? <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't worded that way when we first talked about this. But you're, you were asking me about what I'm looking forward to about the Premier League next I year. asked John yesterday if he could like send me a voice. He was on a train. Send me a voice note of anything you would like be, think you want to say tomorrow. And he sent me maybe 90 seconds, 120 seconds of stuff about next season. And my, my wrote down, what do you think is interesting <laughs> for next season? <laughs> do go ahead. But though, yeah, I said, I, so three things, I think. One is top six is going to be interesting next season. Yeah. Because it feels like there's no like weak teams. Sure. Um, all good coaches now. All good coaches. Obviously, you're going to have Man City, Liverpool, but Liverpool have got a bit of a rebuild. So that could sure. be interesting. And then, yeah, you've got the other team. So, so Spurs are going to have their like, Conte splurge for a season then maybe it'll ruin the squad but it'll be fun it'll be fun Arsenal seem to be sorting themselves out mm -hmm. Manchester United could be could be good maybe who knows there's another team in there that I've not mentioned Chelsea they've been sort of saved at the last hour they've got sure. a big war cabinet that's not the word is it war, war treasure war chest cabinet, war chest no there's a cabinet full of war <laughs> this is my cabinet where I keep no, the my war, booze the war cabinet is what they had like underground in the, in sure, the underground yeah. system right during the second world war they yeah. didn't have one of those no, as as they I'm haven't aware. got Churchill got, somewhere. They've got 200 million to spend. Um, Fine. So that could be interesting. So I think that the, the, the top six is almost like the top six again. Like, I don't feel like anyone else is going to encroach upon that mm. top six. Well, West Ham. Yeah, well, that's the second thing. So like, Villa. The teams that are spending money and going for it. So I've got, yeah, West Ham, Villa and Newcastle. Mm. They're going to be, yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Um, so it'll be fascinating seeing like Newcastle make that shift to being an... Maybe Leicester will come back. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe. It's going to be quite hard as a promoted team to stay up this season, isn't it? Yeah, that's the, that's the third thing. Is it really? Yeah. I'm it's almost so like we had this conversation. This. Is it? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, relegation fodder. I've got like, there's not really many like really weak sides. So you just think, oh, they're nailed on to go down. Yeah. Uh, and so that should make the the uh, the Premier League interesting as well. But Everything should be less rubbish. Um, yeah. No, they will be less rubbish, you would have thought. Yeah. Well, when they sack Frank Lampard yeah. two, two months in. In yeah. November, yeah. It'll be November, yeah. Okay. Well, the other the only other thing I had to ask you is because, of course, John, you're a Leeds fan or a yeah. Leeds supporter. Well, yeah, I suppose that's one way of putting it. Sure. I follow them, certainly. Yeah. You're actually going to... Your inaugural TIFA IRL video is about Leeds, but uh, I suppose uh, what I've written down here is... Um, Talk to us about Leeds this season, because in losing Bielsa, you know, from an external perspective at least, it does seem like uh, Leeds have lost a bit of what I thought their modern identity was, you know. I'm not really sure what's left now. Yeah, it, it felt like Marcelo Bielsa was what made us different, 
mm. and then we've got rid of Marcelo Bielsa, and so we don't feel quite so different anymore. I don't do want to watch Jesse Leeds Marsh? anymore. Yeah, so Jesse Marsh, I'm sort of on the fence on a little bit. Um, I didn't like what I saw from the end of the season. You'll find out from my video that, that there are big differences between the way that Jesse Marsh plays and the way that Marcelo Bielsa plays, mm. despite the fact that the Leeds board have sort of made this succession story all about being like, well, this is a sensible succession because they're both high-intensity, high-pressing managers. Mm. So there's a lot of work to be done over the summer in terms of the squad. And at the moment, it looks like a lot of the targets that we're going for are ex-Jesse Marsh players. So it's almost like he's decided that he can't really coach these players into his system. So we'll just bring in players from a Red Bull system that he's played under him before. They so. do have to... We do have to do something. <laughs> you with know much squad, more than I do. Uh, they got to buy new players because their squad is not good enough. Yeah, absolutely. And and our squad's too old and we don't have any depth, which is why we played like... And if you want to start putting system time. players and you buy ones that already know the system, right? That makes Yeah, no, I think that, that's, that's definitely true. It's, it's definitely a smart move to make. But I think the, the, the problem I have with it is that... Victor Orta, the director of football, has sort of angled it being like, let's be smart, let's play a different style of football where you can maybe get, you can maybe target market inefficiencies mm. and bring up players that aren't, you know, people use the word money ball, but it's sort of finding players who aren't valued by other teams and, and getting value for money for it. But we're not doing that. We've now become a team where people are like, well, we know what sort of players they want. We'll hold the feet over the flames to make sure we get high price for them. So we buy Brendan Aronson for whatever it is, 23 million. And again, Brendan Aronson, good player, will be really good in our system, but you're not getting value for money there. You're, you're sort of being, being held, held a little bit, but... You see the fire come out then. A little fire. bit of fire, wasn't there, when he started talking about Leeds. <laughs> he got a little quicker and a bit more irritated Sorry. and his face did this a bit more, backwards and forwards, you know. We're going to learn the buttons to push. Yeah, I think that's going to be fun for us. Okay, well, look, it's nice to have John here. We can uh, learn all about Leeds in much more detail than we anyone is keen to over <laughs> next season. Uh, that's going to be fun. I think that's the end of all the things. You got anything else you want to say? I'll ask John another question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Who is the best? Have you two? No, just who's the best? That's the question. Um, <laughs> Joe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That is right. I thought you were going to see a footballer or something. Like well, no, I just am... Um, do you want to know my favourite all-time Premier League footballer? But you, you'll never guess who is it is. it me? Obviously. It's not you. No. James Milner. It's not James Milner or... Paul Pogba. Ian Hart. No, it's not a Leeds player. No, let's keep guessing, It's though. a Spurs player. A Spurs player? Jürgen Klinsmann. No. Mm. Christian No. Uh, Jermaine Defoe. Ledley King. No, no. Peter Crouch. No. Uh, Belgian. Oh, Jan Vertonghen. No. Toby Alderweireld. No. Belgian? Moussa Dembele. Mr. Dembele. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Closely yeah. followed by another Belgian, Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. There you go. Yeah. That's an insight into my soul. John loves Belgians. <laughs> Do you know, my, uh, my cousin who lives in Belgium came to visit me the other day. That's my favourite of your cousins, actually. Is it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> your Belgian cousin. He brought me this uh, box of chocolates <laughs> for me and my wife, and it was a heart-shaped box of chocolates. I looked at it, and I thought, this looks tacky. This looks like a tacky box of chocolates. Good God. <laughs> the Belgian chocolate. Oh, we all have Belgian chocolates here. They were unbelievable. Even the horrible dark chocolate nutty ones that I don't normally like were delicious. <laughs> Even those ones were better than the best of all the other chocolates I've ever had. Do you remember when you, did you not like text me out of nowhere to see you discovered Hackney Gelato yeah. ice cream? <laughs> Joe just texts me. It's like, Gelato. This is the, amazing. It's the best thing I've ever eaten. And this is coming from a man. I've eaten a lot of Ben and Jerry's, right? And this, listen, fantastic brand, fantastic ice cream. But Hackney Gelato, <laughs> the dark chocolate one. Oh. 
if you work for Hackney Gelato, Joe wants to meet you. I'll yeah, I'll do a free advert. I don't care. I'd like, <laughs> you just did a free give advert. me some give me some fair. yeah, but a proper one, you know. I'll have but, some free gelato. And I want some craft beer and crisps. Here's another advert now before we finish. An mm. advert for the good people of the <laughs> <laughs> of the NHS hospital Whittington Hospital. Yeah? This is gonna sound weird. Yeah. But I had a colonoscopy oh. last week, right? <laughs> no, no, but see, this is the problem. This is why I'm saying this, because of JJ's immediate reaction. JJ's reaction is actually to me telling everyone rather than to yes, me I don't mind the, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably a nice thing you do because other people might be worried about this it. This is why I'm doing it. This is my second colonoscopy. I've had, I had one three years ago. I'm fine, by the way, uh, but a family history thing. I get checked up now and then. I get checked in. And uh, it's all fine. The reason I'm saying it is because I think it's a very common thing, becomes much more common as you age, both of you. Uh, you and know, James be, Milner, you're older than James you. Milner. Will, yeah, James Milner, if he hasn't already had one, he'll be having one at some point, you know, we all do. Uh, and I know it's something, it's very invasive procedure. It feels that way, uh, well, like it's going to be. And people are nervous about it. So I figured, I just say, this, it's almost completely fine. It really is. Like the worst bit about it is the prep that you have to do beforehand where you drink the laxative and you must remain near a toilet and it's not nice to feel the, you know, it's fine. Basically, it's fine. It's not, it's just not ideal. I, I wouldn't choose to do it. Although weirdly you can, I did, was reading the back of the packaging the first time I did it. And then I looked up the specific uh, symbol, medicine symbol. You can buy this stuff in a pharmacy just over the counter. <laughs> thinking who would do this? What scenario would you go into a pharmacy and buy this, this powdered sachet laxative without a doctor telling you to do well, that? It? You have to drink a lot. Uh, you have to drink uh, like a one litre in the, in the evening and then another one in the morning. You, see, you know, whatever. That's the worst bit. You get to the thing, you do the procedure... It's completely fine. It really is. Like the very, the strange thing is that the, the, the sort of, that you can't really feel inside. Obviously there's not, you don't have a huge amount of nerves uh, inside because otherwise you'd feel every, every bowel movement go all the way down and that wouldn't make sense <laughs> as a human. So we don't have that. Um, you do feel sort of bloated because they blow air up there so that they can examine the inside of the bowel and you feel, you, you feel sort of a little bit bloated. Uh, but you feel every movement at the, literally at the bottom because that's the only, it's really the only place you have those, uh, you know, enough nerves to feel it. But it's totally fine. The people of the Whittington Hospital, by the way, they were just delightful. I'd go as far as to say I had a wonderful time. I spoke to you that evening and you said, I've had a great day. They were and I was so like, nice. What, you, what have you been doing? I was expecting. Laugh a minute. I saw it was great. I had a great time with them at the Whittington Hospital. So thanks to them. But also, you know, if you have got one coming up or there's one on the horizon, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just, you know, it's half a day. No problem. It's fine. Have, have the sedative. Great fun. It's fun to have the sedative. But um, it's nothing to worry about. And if you'd like more analysis about colonoscopies, <laughs> you should read. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the guy for that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, it's very nice of you to share your story. I hope that makes people feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fine. Fine. Producer Don, thank you. This is long, isn't it? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. JJ Bull the Bullard. Uh, silly noise. Silly noise, yeah. What did you make of John's first performance? That was very strong. Yeah, yeah strong. very strong. Yeah. Room for improvement, do you think? Or? There's always room for improvement in well, all of always, us. There's always room for improvement. But too, uh, yeah. specifically in me compared to what John said today. <laughs> Are you feeling nervous? Well, sometimes I 
Uh, I'm, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to finish that sentence. No, it's fine. fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we all have self-doubt. Uh, John McKenzie, thanks very much. Look forward to speaking to you again later in the day, just around the office. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Do you have a message for the TIFO people? Look straight down that camera. That camera. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. And thanks to the uh, whoever's editing the audio. Adonis, producer Adonis today, I believe. There we go. We'll be back next week with more. Seb Stafford Bloor returning from his, uh, from his Hamburg holiday. So that's going to be fun for all of us. Uh, take care until then. Bye. Bye.